Hello and welcome to another episode of Fikava Vetchat. Today I would like to talk about a new concept that has taken veterinary medicine over the last two to three years by storm. We're talking about telemedicine. And today I'm very pleased to be joined by one of the most innovative thinkers in the veterinary industry in the UK, Ben Sweeney. Hello, Ben. Hi, Wolfgang. How are you? It's, uh, Hi. it's always interesting, isn't it? Kind of the joys of this modern world that like, you know, you're, you're in Sweden, I'm in the UK and we're recording a podcast and it's, um, yeah, it, I think it's good for, and it's great. It's great to get insight into how the veterinary profession is delivering stuff into different parts of the world as well. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's great to be able to chat. Yes. I always like to hear how matters are at home, so <laughs> that's that's uh, very good. And also to compare notes from time to time, sort of between the countries. Mm. Yeah. Quite good. Um, ben, uh, the, the people who, uh, who don't know you, um, uh, I first sort of came across you through a completely different business sort of that had nothing to do with um, telemedicine a company called Simply Vets and I think they also had the branch of it was Simply Locums. Uh, before we start our little chat, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, sort of uh, your, your professional background and sort of I, I see a little bit of a combination of, of, of veterinary surgeon but also a business person. So I don't know, just fire away. So just, <laughs> how, can, yeah. how can people who don't so it's interesting, isn't it? Everyone has their own sort of career path and career story. And, and this is kind of one of the first things I, I point out when I talk to any undergraduates or any people that are, you know, sort of early stages of their career as a vet is that, you know, sort of the, the career of yesteryear where, you know, you qualified and you uh, went into a job and you stayed in the same practice for 40 or 50 years. It still exists occasionally. Um, but, but for the vast majority of us, our career is now broken up into little segments um, and I sort of say look you know if each if you look at your career of maybe 40 50 years as a five-year segment um, you know you kind of break it up and go okay well I've maybe got eight segments um, of my career here and um, I, I think I've managed to even go to the extreme on that um, so I, I qualified from the University of Liverpool um, in 2008 um, and I'd also done a, a master's in infection and disease control at that point um, so that's obviously been quite um, topical for the last 18 months, two years or so, uh, as watching developments and how things have been managed across the world um, and how everybody's done things slightly differently. Um, and then I, I uh, moved up to the northeast of England to work in, in equine practice. Um, and then I went down to a referral hospital in the Midlands um, to do another three years where I did my advanced practitioner um, equine practice certificate and then the day after I passed that I remember waking up and going I don't want to do this for another 40 years um, <laughs> so I, I spoke to my bosses who were incredibly supportive actually um, and, and they basically said look yeah you know we knew that this day would come with you we know that you know there's, there's things that you will do and your skill sets are, all, uh, are, are elsewhere so I went and retrained um, in small animal practice I had one job that was an absolute car crash uh, that I, I lasted three weeks in, um, and it was the right decision. Ironically yeah. enough, yeah, yeah. anyone who loses a job and a job falls out from under your feet instantly, it's not the end of the world. Actually, that will possibly teach you the most about any job that you'll ever learn. 
Um, so yeah, I lasted three weeks. Um, and um, I think the the PC term is I had my career opportunities opened up to me, uh, which I believe was my then boss's way of saying, you're not up to scratch here. Um, you need to go and, and get some more training. And I think that's important for us. You know, I think we have to be able to take constructive criticism. And at that stage, I hadn't worked with dogs or cats for six years. Um, and I was in at the deep end with sole charge in a practice and I was out of my depth and I wasn't up to scratch clinically. So actually, whilst you know i could have had a degree of animosity and, and dislike towards that chap he did me the biggest favor of my entire career uh, because i then went up back up to the north of england to a very big group of practices and had the greatest education um over two years i worked with some phenomenal vets um who were very happy to teach and i think you know that's something that unfortunately given the way people are so busy in the profession nowadays and a lot of practices are quite small um, not everybody has that blessing where they've got, you know, sort of vets with many years experience imparting their wisdom and giving you clinical guidance. Um, so that was fantastic. That was a group of practices called Westway Vets up in the north uh, of England. And then I, I moved back to Liverpool in 2015 and started locuming. Um, and that was great because, you know, uh, I was to some extent my own boss. I went and saw different practices at that stage. I was thinking about opening up my own practice. Um, but the longer I spent in locum sort of work, the more I, I spotted various different problems and things that, you know, uh, naively in my thoughts, I could do better. Um, and some things I could do better, some things I couldn't do as good as other people. Uh, but, you know, that was a great learning curve. And to me, the passion was always how can I help other people that are locuming or other practices that need locums? That was kind of the simplicity and hence the name Simply Locums when we launched it. Um, and I grew that over a few years and sold it in 2019. And I, I think once you sell a business, uh, and certainly the learning I have is that, that that then, you know, you sort of lose the the, the ingraining into that business. And, and for me, that sort of it, it's then other people taking a business in other directions. And, you know, I wish them well, but, but we diverged in our views of where the business was going and, and I stepped away. Um, to focus on developing Vidivet, which is, is my current venture. Um, and to me, the, at the epicenter of everything that I've always done, um, you know, I still do bits and bobs in clinical practice now, but at the epicenter has always been, how can we make things better for the vet profession? Um, and it's not to say that we don't do stuff well, but, you know, we've had, especially over the last two years, this real mismatching between supply of veterinary services and demand for those services, not just in the UK, but globally. Um, and of course, that's why we've seen such a big kaboom in, in, in digital services. Um, but, but for me, it's all been about, you know, using my expertise and my knowledge and my network of vets and learning from their experiences. We've, we've built both businesses off a process called Lean Startup. Um, and that's all about identifying what the problems are for the customer. So rather than building something and saying, right, okay, look, you know, we've built this. Do you want to use it? We actually go out to the people that are going to use it. So vets, vet practices, pet owners, and saying to them, look, you know, what are the problems that you face here? And, and, and what can we do to make that better for you? So that actually in the product that we build, we know we're building the right thing. Um, and that's kind of, you know, it, it takes a lot of experience to learn that. And it's such a cliche 
Uh, like, you know, when you're a young vet coming out, you've got all of the ideas in the world. You say, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. It's going to be amazing. And it's going to be the best thing in the world. And the older I get, the more I sort of realize that actually without the, the good and the bad experiences that I have had as a vet and that, you know, all of the other vets that we work with have had, then, then we wouldn't have been able to build Vidivet because if everybody just had good experiences all the time, then there wouldn't be any problems and then there'd be nothing to fix and there'd be nothing else to build. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of my background. Um, I am, um, as most people can probably tell, um, I, I have a mild case of ADHD um, <laughs> and, and dyslexia, but I see that as a real benefit because I just see the world differently. I see, I see solutions to problems. I like to look at these things and go, well, okay, look, let's, let's not, no focus on that let's focus on how we can make it better um so yeah so that's that's what i do so somehow i've i've found myself as a veterinary digital innovator uh, which i find hilarious because anybody who knows me would tell you that i struggle to turn on the television from time to time yeah but it's it's, it's i mean it's it's great i mean i i i, I as previously mentioned sort of i go back to your weekly newsletters and uh, that you send out at simply vets and i thought what an interesting person because you um you 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 caught a lot of issues by the route and you addressed them um uh, at the time it was more geared towards the veterinary local market which sort of was very interesting for me but also then when you step back from that business and then you you it came through that you had a new idea i thought okay let's have a look what this is going to be <laughs> so it was it and 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 so really finger on the pulse and so vidivet what what is what is vidivet doing where is vidivet different from other um, uh, how shall we call them tele triage services or telemedicine services yeah and i think you know it is it is important that it's different and i think you know people It's really interesting because when you start a business in, in, in digital health and telehealth, people kind of look at you, oh, you must, you must really dislike these guys. You must really like dislike these guys and go, no, absolutely not. Because, you know, these first movers in the marketplace have laid the bedrock um, for, you know, the adoption of digital health. And actually, if you look at the veterinary profession, um, we have done digital health telehealth for for a long time longer than we we actually recognize because we've been given advice out over the phone for 30 years 40 years in in some cases and you know that that reality is we're just evolving that delivery of how we get that messaging across and and with vidivet we had a very very clear core uh, core message in our very first slide deck Uh, was very very simple when we went to investors we went look this is plain and simple what we want to do we want to improve the speed and access for anyone with a pet to veterinary expertise but we also want to use that journey to the benefit of the veterinary profession to help relieve the pressure on that uh, and my viewpoint was always that you know we have to work directly with the veterinary profession to best deliver that kind of service so you ask sort of where we're different uh, the main difference is that we work directly with veterinary practices that's our, our mainstay as a service so we're not a replacement excuse me not a replacement for but an extension of that practices services so that you know practice teams can can have a rest can have you know time we can alleviate the pressure so that rather than a pet owner having to phone reception and then reception speak to a vet or nurse and then the vet or nurse phone them back 
actually we remove all of the barriers by giving our app to the vet practices for their customers to use and then they can ask their question straight away so there's no wait time they don't have to book consults or anything like that but they literally use open the app click on ask a question submit their question and they can send us video they can send us an audio file they can text us their question um, but they always get a video answer back from one of the vets and that was important because if we spoke to a load of pet owners and they were like, we don't trust chatbots. Um, you know, we don't believe that it's not necessarily a person typing this answer to us. Whereas when they've got a video and it's a personalized video, these aren't stock videos. These are, you know, they're recorded off the back of a question. So it's me saying, you know, hi, Wolfgang, I'm really sorry that Fluffy's not well. Uh, these are what we think you need to do. But But for us, it was all about supporting the profession. So we don't prescribe, we don't diagnose. We are very, very specifically about informing that customer journey so that your customers know, do they or don't they need to go to the vet primarily? And then if they need to go to the vet, when do they need to go to the vet? You know, do I need to jump in the car now, which we all know is actually incredibly rare. Um, do I need to go today? So, you know, if, if they send us a video of an eye and that eye is really squinting and sore, we say, yeah, you probably do need to go today. And the reason behind that is that the vet needs to see if there's an ulcer or some trauma to that eye. Um, or, you know, the flip side of that is, you know, my, my dog's been a bit lame for, you know, three or four weeks. Actually, yes, you do need to go to the vet, but, you know, rest and controlled exercise for the next week. And at some point in the next week or two, get into the vets and some anti-inflammatories, um, potentially from that side of things, or some imaging. So what we try and do is educate what we've called the pre-vet journey. Um, and the pre-vet journey is that thing that we have all been in a consult where an owner comes in and go, I've Googled this um, or I've been on Facebook and the breeder told me this. Um, all of those things that our heart kind of sink a little bit when we hear that message as a vet and we kind of go, oh, God, uh, you know, what what have you heard? Um, and what we wanted to do was put that journey with a vet in the place of Google, with a vet in the place of Karen off Facebook. Um, or the breeder and that. So actually they're getting qualified advice really quickly. So when people ask us a question, most of the time they've got an answer within two minutes. So they've got instant peace of mind, which means that they're not stressed when they're coming into the vets. But when they come into the vets, they, they have a bit clearer expectation. So if they've got a vomiting dog, they've got an idea that you as a vet will probably want to give them an anti-sickness injection or some antacids. We're not going to tell them that look, your vet's going to give you 2.2 mils of Prevamax. Uh, but, you know, we, we shape their expectation of what might happen. But then you say, well, but if the vet's a bit concerned, they may want to do some bloods, possibly put your dog on fluids or maybe do some imaging. So it's all about informing and educating that customer journey. But by doing that, we can save vets in practice time and stress and pressure. So we know that every pet owner that's spoken to us first, when they go into the practice for a consult, it saves that vet clinic an average of four minutes per consult. So when you think, I don't know what it's like in Sweden, but in the UK, most people are on 15 minute consults. You think actually you're saving 25% of your time because a lot of the explaining of what's going to happen has been done first and why it's going to be done. So it improves that relationship and smooths it. And we've seen that time and again. Uh, every single review we've had on, on we use a, a platform called reviews um, and every single one has been five star because it's the owners know that we don't give them medicines we don't want to challenge vet practices we want to work alongside them 
to alleviate that pressure. And I think, you know, that that is our primary difference. You see a lot of these other services that, you know, are trying to sell this and sell that as an aside. Our focus is absolutely the delivery of triage expertise. So we don't, I say, we don't sell any products on our site. Um, it is purely about informing that customer journey to the benefit of the practice. And of course, if your practice is shut, you know, and, and you've got out of hours that need covering, a lot of those out of, out of hours cases don't need to go to the emergency vets. And the flip side of this is, of course, you know, you do plenty of nights. Um, you know, the there's many cases in the UK that rock up to ECC centres like this doesn't need to be here now. And actually, whilst you might make three hundred pound off that consult, it, it detracts your time and your focus away from cases that do need your attention. Because, of course, in many ECC centres, there are one or two or three or more really sick patients that require a lot of attention. And, you know, if you're going to give something a jab, a metacam that could have waited until tomorrow, then, you know, yeah, it might look good on the, the cash balance register, but but actually your attention should be focused towards your thing. So, again, it's all about alleviating pressure there. We can redirect revenue back into the practices, the host practices, because, of course, those cases out of hours that don't need to go to the emergency vets bring revenue into them as a practice um so so you know we're we're quite we're quite optimistic for how it's working with practices how, how does it work if the practice so doesn't have the manpower to to provide sort of vets for vidivet is there also then a pool of vets that then sort of steps so, in this yeah absolutely so work? with us we man the service ourselves so if you imagine, again, if you look globally, there's there's been a huge feminization of the profession. Um, and that's probably a good thing. Um, certainly, you know, from from um, from the profession side of things, we've seen this seismic shift um, in, you know, sort of going from 90% male to 90% female, certainly in the UK um, over the last 30 years or so. And of course, people have families now and, and, and work values are different now to what they were back in the 80s. You know, people don't necessarily want to be spending 70 hours a week um, at work. And, you know, cost of childcare is I know this myself at the minute is exponential. Um, and, you know, people look at it and go, well, actually, you know, it's, it, it's costing me to go to work because I'm having to pay for childcare and so on and so forth. So people choose to work part time. Um, or flexi time uh, is becoming starting to, to uh, uh, eke its way into the profession but we man our service completely which means that from a practice point of view they don't have to staff it as well so rather than you know sort of them having stuff that they've then got to deal with on top of their normal workload we do all of the triage work so it takes a load of the work off the practice but doesn't impact on the revenues in fact we're seeing that it increases practice revenue because owners are going in charged. So they go in rather than turning up to a consult with a dog with diarrhea and then being sent home to get a sample. We send them in with a sample and it gives us more opportunities for diagnostics. It gives us more opportunities for appropriate medical, medical management of cases, um, which obviously drives up revenue within the practice. So yeah, we man the service with our own vets. Um, they're all very experienced vets. We do quite thorough checks on everybody. Um, and the idea is that this is an extension of your team. You know, we represent your values. We don't change your treatment plans. We don't question what you've done in practice. Um, you know, because again, at our core is supporting those people on the clinical front line. Um, and from my point of view, that that just sits 
so importantly at the center of what I do in life by saying, look, you know, actually, this isn't about cutting the veterinary profession out. This isn't about alienating people from their vets. This is about putting the vet practice back at the center of this journey, but doing it in a, in a, in a more efficient manner um, that gives the owner a great experience, alleviates the pressure, improves profitability. I mean, you know, it's, we're, we're quite happy with all of that. But again, it's, it's freeing up those on the clinical front line to deliver physical care, because the reality is, you know, some companies will turn around and say, oh, you know, you can do this and this and this. And, you know, you never actually need to go to the vet in future. Um, I, I would turn around and uh, watching my um, my French say, what absolute nonsense. I think, you know, you, you, probably, the vet will yeah. always be needed. You know, every you will at probably. some point in its life will need to see a vet will probably go more mm. Mm. so because i mean if in doubt i mean sort of with, with with my own sort of telemedicine background what what i saw is if in doubt i rather send to the vet than saying ah oh, no 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 no, that's fine just give this household uh, a remedy and and then no 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 sort of unless it is something that is super trivial and these are the cases that you really don't want to see uh, in, the, in the practice because then the client might possibly also be upset if you say, well, I'm afraid nothing to worry about, your dog is healthy, go home, but then charge a normal consultation fee, uh, people might be upset about it. Whereas sort of if they go through a triage system, uh, you certainly have more certainty than that, okay, this is important or this is not important. And if there is this gray area of doubt, then get it checked, get it checked. You, you, you only have a limited means to examine an animal. So uh, uh, that what you don't know, if in doubt, uh, rather take a more pessimistic view and send them to the vets. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's exactly it. And I think, you know, it's really important. As I say, we've built VidiVet according to a process called Lean Startup. And that, that doesn't just stop because we've built the app. Now we're constantly adding to that. So we're constantly speaking to practices and vets working at those practices. You know, what would make it easier for you? Um, you know, we, we share our entire history because nobody has to, with the way our system works, um, ours is the first truly mobile um, platform so like people aren't working from laptops they're not working from their desktop they're working from their mobile so they can be out and about anywhere so it, it's 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 a truly flexible workplace uh, which means that you know especially for people who are parents or people who um, you know have got various different you know demands in their life you know they might do a 20-minute shift they might do a two-hour shift they might do you know we don't let anybody work for more than six hours um, at any one time and we cap our vet hours at 20 hours per week because we didn't want to cannibalize the physical profession but we identified that actually it's so important to give people the opportunity to use their expertise many people that are working part-time don't want to leave the profession but they want to find a way to use their expertise and get paid and it's appropriate that people get paid for those expertise um but it's giving it in a way that suits them. Like, you know, they could be having a coffee in a coffee shop um, with some friends. They could be having lunch. They could be out for a walk. You know, we actively encourage all of our vets I, while we're paying them to go for a walk. I, I think I, I, I saw your service sort of advertised as 
having the uh, your your vet in your pocket actually so so that's i mean as if you have a vet friend you would phone yeah. sort of if in doubt so is it something that's serious or is it not serious mm -hmm. yeah that's so, exactly and, it and the nice sort of and, and what i think what, what what all the telemedicine services sort of have in in, in common is this quantum shift that suddenly it is okay to um to give over the phone or now video sort of advice but the client understands that will cost you you have to pay one way or the other for it i think you you have an annual subscription or something like that to uh, so yeah so that? we we or, have a little bit that, that goes the owners can pay for it directly if their vet practice mm. don't use it um mm. but we actually so if many of the vet practices that we work with they pay for it for their customer base mm. um mm. so the customers get it free through the vet practice and um, we're starting to work with a couple of insurance companies um and and you know they they obviously get it free through their insurance companies from that side of things um you know our pricing structure is very different to to other um you know we because part of you know part of my issues is that you look at thinking oh look, it's great saying all of these guys with insurance companies can get it free but actually 70 percent of uk pets are uninsured 97 and a half percent of pets in the united states are uninsured um you know the, the numbers are astronomical in the uk alone three million pets aren't even registered at a vet um and you think you know it's a way of getting the expertise to these people and engaging them with the veterinary profession because currently you know before all of the digital stuff many many people were just not getting veterinary advice and expertise which of course then questions you know the the oath that we all take when we graduate as vets you know to try and uphold animal health and welfare and actually the digital evolution of how we offer our services gives us another method of upholding that vow um and turning around and saying look well actually we can do this on an extra level now it's not a replacement it's not an instead of it's not an alternative to it is and as well as you know it's an additional service and an additional way for us to engage as a veterinary profession in a more efficient way um with, with pet owners uh, and that 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 can't be a bad thing and I mean, if we look back at it, I mean, is telemedicine really sort of so new? I mean, even 50 years ago, you could you could transmit um, uh, uh, ECG recordings, for example, uh, uh, over the big pond to a specialist in the US for uh, 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 for interpretation, and, and 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 you had it back within a few hours, for example. I mean, this is this is sort of nothing new, or um, uh, now, uh, use of phones, I mean, <laughs> that, that's going nearly on for, 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 I don't know, 80, 90 years or something like that. I mean, that clients phone the vet and say, here, this and that and that is happening. What am I supposed to do? Mm -hmm. Just obviously with the difference that sort of over many, many, many years, all this advice was given, yeah, free of charge often then not resulting in a consultation uh, often also at the most sort of incon most inconvenient sort of hours then just with the expectation oh, yeah, yeah, but well <laughs> it was just a telephone call i don't have to i don't have to pay for that 
And I mean, as you said also, I mean, search engines, uh, there is so much stuff now out there, sort of clients can sort of and do inform themselves through Google or, or, or other forms of sort of internet, con uh, internet content. And then, I mean, the only thing what, what, what telemedicine does channel it, channel it and say, well, what is important? What is not important? Yes, you might have read that this is, I don't know, cancer also, but, but chances with a six months old puppy, not very high that this, this really is this condition. So, so I mean, absolutely. And, and, and actually, it gives us an opportunity for earlier engagement. You know, because there's not the barrier of, well, I've got to book an appointment at the vet. I've got to travel to the vet. I've got to, um, you know, get my dog into the car, get my cat into the box. All of these things, all of these barriers to getting to the vet cost actually isn't the most important one to most people. To most people, it's the inconvenience. Um, you know, if it's not something that they're palpably concerned about at this stage, most people's behavior is to monitor. Um, but actually, if you give them a capability to go, I just want to just pick your brains about this um, and offer veterinary expertise at that point, then then that will lead to earlier diagnosis. It will lead to better outcomes. It will lead to better customer experience. You know, all, all of these things are, are just facilitating earlier things now. You know, there's people out there that will say, well, you know, people shouldn't be able to get an answer from a vet straight away. It was like, but the difference is if they don't get an answer from a vet straight away, the alternative is they will get an answer from Google, from Facebook, from other people straight away. And the knock-on effect of that is actually they may then be getting misinformation. Um, and I think that's the, for me, that is the most important thing with this. Uh, even, you know, like you rightly point out, it, telehealth in its many guises has been around for an incredibly you know, longer than I've been alive but our interpretation of what it is is changing um, and I think all of a sudden we've entered this realm where telehealth rather than being controlled by the veterinary profession there's players that have come into the market that are outside of the veterinary profession and, and all of a sudden we're being um, sort of the vets are getting disarticulated from the customer where previously they've always been central in the customer health process. So again, central to what we wanted to do was to re-centralize the vet practice and say, look, you are in control here. You use Vidivet how you please in order to cater to you and your clients and their needs. Um, but people will do things differently. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, as a profession, we have a responsibility to adapt with the times because if we don't sure as hell, we're not going to control the customer behavior. You know, everybody does everything off their phone. Now you only have to walk. I, I thoroughly enjoy going and sitting in a cafe and sitting with a coffee and I don't take my phone. I put my phone to the side and I watch and you've got groups of five, six people sat around a table, having a coffee or breakfast together. Nobody's speaking to each other. Everybody does everything <laughs> on the phone. Um, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and the reality yeah. is they want everything on their phone mm. now, you know the, the futurist in me looks at it and goes actually I see a part of time in 10-15 years time where we've gone full circle and people are less attached to their phone 
certainly when I look at my son and you know my my child that's due, I kind of hope that's the case because I don't want them to grow up spending their life like this on their phone. Um, but but for the demand of today's customer, it's paramount that we cater to them in a way that they find useful um, and use that to shape what we've always done. So rather than saying, well, this is how it's always been and this is how it's always going to stay, you, well, you can say that, but it's going to change anyway. It's already changing the customer behaviors there. They do it with their doctors. They do it with their, their various different, you know, other elements, you know, home care with their, their household electrics and boilers and things. It, it's, it's a natural expectation of people now that you have a digital service. Yeah, we are. We are not. We are not sitting or living in a museum. Or we, they will put us in a museum. I mean, if we don't go with the times, it's just on. Also, for a lot of clients, it is just so convenient. Also, for certain patients, it's just so convenient. It's sort of uh, sort of say cat owners, for example, for 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 whom it's sometimes a real hassle sort of taking the cat to the vets. Yes might be necessary uh, sort of for for some but it doesn't need to be necessary in all cases so i don't know post-operative checks for example or uh, uh if, if a patient is sort of uh, um, on long-term medication or something like that just a control check how the patient is doing mm -hmm. These are all, all, all factors, or for example, aggressive dogs, or if you talk behavioral yeah. issues, for example. And I mean, also with, the, with, with today's, um, uh, 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 the quality of today's lenses, I mean, I very often sort of ask clients to send me photos, images of the eyes of their dogs. And I mean, you sometimes get mm. super, uh, it, it, super detailed images is, is just, I mean, mind blowing. And obviously, there are also now devices where you even can get good shots of the retina, for example, mm -hmm. or gate analysis, for example, sort of, or if, if a patient has been seizuring. I mean, we all say, in uh, also during the consultation, okay, your dog is fine now. Next time your dog has a seizure, please take a video recording while they have the seizure that I get a clearer impression sort of what is going on i mean we are using these tools sort of all the time and love it or lose it they will not disappear they will be there forever while this technology sort of exists we just have to to, to make sure that we make use of them i think mm. and it's embracing the benefits you know of course there's you know there's downsides to technology um it's interesting you're talking about photographs um, we use, we, our owners have the ability in the Vidivet app to upload video and take live video and so on and so forth. We tend not to use photographs. And the reason we don't use photographs is because someone could send you a photograph of a dog's eye while it's blinking. Um, so if you go like that and you see, you know, one eye like this, you're like, oh, God, that dog's got a blepharospasm. Yes, you need to go to the vet. Whereas actually, if it's a, when you look at it in a video, yeah, oh, actually, the dog's just blinking. It's fine. The eye is a little bit inflamed, but it's not It's not sore. It's not, you know, sort of, um, it's not got a blepharospasm. There's no epiphora. The pupil looks normal. There's no meiosis. Yeah, do you know what? You don't need to rush into the vets today with this. Let's bathe it with some cool boiled water for 24 hours and see how it gets on. If it's no better, you go in and get things. So I think, you know, that's where there's the uh, technology itself is constantly evolving. And, you know, as a digital service, it's how you evolve with the technology. I mean, God, you know, every, what, two seconds, Apple release a new phone. 
Um, and, you know, you sit there thinking, you know, the, the technology has moved on again and again and again. Um, and, and I think, you know, the, I, I guess the challenge with it is that we try and keep up. Um, and the reality is you can't keep up. Um, you know, things move at such a pace that by the time you've spent several thousand pounds as a practice buying this piece of kit, it's already out of date because the next model's coming out in, in 12 months time or, or whatever. Um, but when you look at telehealth, you know, it's important to really identify the strengths. The strengths are identifying those cases to me that do and don't need to go to the vets, you know, and those cases that, you know, aren't particular fans of coming to see us in practice, um, you know, supporting people digitally in stuff that is non-revenue generating in practice, um, but also takes time. Um, you know, there's there's a whole wealth of things that it's beneficial at, but there's also these things where, like, look, you know, I firmly believe that if there's an animal that you're worried about, then that requires a physical exam. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of the fact that, you know, as we said earlier, there is only so much when your patient can't tell you where it hurts or why it hurts that you can ascertain digitally. It's a lot more than people anticipate, but a lot of those cases will then require a physical examination. But it's making that vet more informed at the point of examination. That, that's what we can really improve here. And I think that's where the digital journey improves it. But I think it is important to highlight that there is only so much you can do digitally. At this moment in time, God knows where we'll be in 15 years. Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that leads us sort of on to, to some of the critical voices. I mean, one thing is, let's admit it, uh, a video consult does not replace say, the palpation of the abdomen, for example. Um, we still find it difficult sort of to auscultate a patient, taking the temperature, uh, checking properly if a patient is hydrated or not hydrated, even sort of looking at mucosal membranes, for example. Is that is what we see really representative? Maybe it's a crap camera and that's why the patient looks sort of pale. So there are a lot of ifs and buts sort of we see uh, um, uh, with a video consultation. So I, I think that is something that's a sort of criticism that, that we have to accept when we talk telemedicine. So it has its really still has and will always have its limits. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think, you know, we've taken some of the limits of, of generation one of telehealth and learned from them in what we've built. So um, we sort of see Vidivet as the next evolution of that. And so we use well, 99.3% of our communications are asynchronous. Um, so it means that someone sends us a question and then we send them an answer. And the benefit of that means that they never have to book anything. As soon as they've got a question, they can ask. And um, so there's no wait times. They don't need to book a consult. Um, it's all ask a question and then you will receive a video back. Um, and, and you know, that's one of the benefits in terms of alleviating that problem. Um, and then, you know, there's the next stage of the issue in that, well, with the video consultation system, if a pet's symptoms change and they just want to get some more advice, they then got to book another consult um, and so on and so forth, or, or just go directly to their vets at that point. So, you know, there's limitations there with ours. If something changes, they just send us another message 
and then we send them a, another video back saying look either yeah you do need to go in or you can do this this and this by way of triage so again you know ours isn't the finished article people will look at what video vets doing and say well actually we can do this on top of this and this on top of this and you know that's the great thing about not just the digital world but in any business in that it's constant evolution of ideas and constant innovation on how things are delivered and expertise is gained and, and sort of disseminated. Um, and, and that's where, you know, I, I always remember listening to a comedian once and he was talking about science and it's like, well, scientists think they know it all. And it's like, well, no, they don't. Otherwise science would stop. Um, and it's instantly that just resonated. It was kind of like you make a valid point. Um, and the reality is telehealth isn't perfect. And, and, you know, physical veterinary services aren't perfect. The reality is that together, when you combine physical and digital, you probably have a slightly better product, but even then it's still not perfect. And that constantly has to improve. And unless you are constantly trying to push things forward, you know, identifying the problems in a system, identifying potential solutions to that, speaking to the people using it, speaking to the people that you're trying to serve, unless you're finding these problems and looking for them all of the time, then your product will very quickly become obsolete. Um, and that to me is of paramount importance that telehealth doesn't sit on its laurels, that it really continues to evolve and move forward and learn from the things that are shortcomings, um, you know, add more strings to its bow. Um, and use that absolutely to help the physical delivery of care. Another criticism that you that you hear often is uh, it's unregulated to some degree. I mean, okay, there are certain things one can do, one can't do. But then also sort of how to address a question well, uh, how, uh, how can you reassure, uh, can you assure that these are nationally approved vets. What is stopping a telemedicine provider, for example, to provide the service actually by a veterinary nurse or by a vet from a different country, um, from a completely different region? I mean, we have seen that with, um, uh, 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 with call centers. So they were starting in our own countries and then businesses found, well, Actually, I can outsource this. That, that can also be done from India. And admittedly, I mean, we have, we have really capable colleagues in other parts of the world that are uh, having working for far lower fees than, than vets, for example, in the UK or, or in a lot of other European countries. Where, where does it stop sort of uh, telemedicine organic companies to, yeah, to, I mean, to source that? So for me, I think it's, it's very, very clear. Um, like, you know, at the minute, Vidivet only operates in the UK and we only employ UK, UK registered uh, veterinary surgeons who are members of the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons. Um, and I think that then does fall on the professional bodies to, to hold telehealth providers accountable um, and sit there and go, well, actually, you know, you're, you're providing advice from somebody who's not registered to give advice in this territory um, and, and, you know, to levy fines um, on that sort of thing. And I think that's absolutely um, appropriate. Um, you know, from that point of view, I, I look at it and think, well, 
you know we are not above regulation yes it might not be directly regulated um and there's a degree of gray area and ambiguity about you know sort of um what what is and isn't telehealth and so on and so forth but i also caveat that with saying well you know ultimately this is the replacement for the current behavior of pet owners of googling and facebooking and instagramming and finding advice from unvalidated sources um, I think the key is that as a telehealth provider, we use a validated source, which is a qualified vet or indeed vet nurse um, from that side of things. Um, currently, we just employ vets. Uh, we don't have vet nurses at this moment in time. It's something that we are looking at for certain things in the future. Um, but I think the other thing with the use of a vet nurse in digital health is that there's things that a vet nurse still has to escalate to the vet. So that can draw out the process for a pet owner. Um, Personally, I would not be the vet I am today if it wasn't for vet nurses that helped me on the clinical front line. Um, and, you know, I dare say that every vet, at least, you know, every sensible vet would, uh, you know, sort of doff their cap to the vet nurses that have helped them on the way up because most of us wouldn't have made it without them. Um, yeah. And I think it's really important that we find a way for vet nurses to get the same degree of flexibility that we can offer to vets with this side of things. But I think what we have to keep at the epicenter is that we don't use this digital stuff to the to, to the um uh, to the detriment of physical care um and i think that has got to be the biggest flashing um siren and alarm bell that's going look you know don't just shift everybody towards digital because if you do that um then you're gonna leave us with no physical vets and that's why we put a cap on our vets you see that's that's another criticism sort of yeah once people go into digital they say well this is actually a great way to work as a veterinarian especially sort of uh, older generation vets i found so many vets that then sort of well okay i work two or three days a week and yeah. i'm sort of semi-retired and that works absolutely fine for me i mean which is not not a bad thing but on the other hand sort of these are practical working professionals that have been lost sort of to the to the profession that might actually make things at least oh, 100%, on the short term 100 percent. so we have the way we approach it is that all of our vets are still in clinical practice so we have hybrid workers so people are still in clinical practice which means it keeps them on the pulse um, it keeps them delivering care on the front line, but also they have that flexible element. So no, nobody works for VidiVet full time. Um, we cap our hours at 20 hours. So no vet in the team is allowed to do more than 20 hours a week. Largely, that's for balance. Like, you know, I didn't want people spending 60 hours a week working, um, like, you know, or, or at least working for me. Like we've got enough vets that want to come and work for us. Why monopolize people's time? You know, give a few more people some hours um engage them with this because actually they can take the learnings of this into the physical world um and that's that's the great thing about it is that i personally think it has to be done hand in hand um with the the physical profession i think people that you know are staffing their teams with full-time digital vets they will de-skill and that will remove them from the delivery of care over the period of time now there's certain people in this uh, so we we have a couple of vets who we have uh, slightly different rules for because they have disabilities and because of those disabilities they're unable to work in in clinical practice these are brilliant vets 
Mm. Like, you know, they're so like, you know, I would happily have any of the vets that work for me treat my dog. And that's the way I look at it is go, look, would I let you near my own pet? Um, if I wouldn't, then I, I'm really sorry, but I wouldn't have you come and work for me. Um, and, you know, that's there's only so much we can do by way of due diligence. And, but that's my my meter is, look, if I would let you treat my own dog, then I believe that you will offer that level of care to other people. Um, and we're already seeing that every vet that we've got working for us is just awesome. Like, you know, they, they care about people. They, they communicate efficiently. They support people. Um, you know, it's, it's fantastic. We send every, everyone that asks us a question, we send them a follow-up message, a follow-up video the day after just to see how their patient is. Um, and that's something that nobody else has been doing, but it's all about the customer. But this reflects really well on the practices because it's a service that they're providing. Um, and it takes the pressure because their owners aren't then phoning reception at half past nine. So and I just wanted to let you know that Fluffy's uh, doing this, 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 or is fine. Um, but yeah, and, and I think, you know, it is important that we get balance. It's, it's all about keeping the physical and the digital in, in this equilibrium together. So where do you think will telemedicine be in 10 20, 30 years, where, where, where are we heading from here? I mean, I have a little bit sort of this, this horror, I don't know, sort of 1984. Mm, so I think there was a scene in 1984 or, or at, mm, uh, what was that? There were, or another uh, dystopia it was about sort of some, uh, some green stuff. People, people were, uh, were completely mad about sort of uh, eating or consuming and, at the end of the story, it turned out that it had a very, very horrible source. It came from, I don't want to leave a spoiler. Anyway, in this dystopia, it was so that that the um, you, you couldn't get uh, a physical sort of examination with a doctor. The only thing was that sort of machines came sort of out of the wall and checked you here, checked you there, checked your blood pressure, checked your temperature, and there was a screen, you just spoke to a screen. You didn't see a physical doctor. And is that where we are heading? Is that our future? No, um, I, I would go with plain and simple, no. Um, and, and I, if that is the future, then it's not a future that I want to see. Um, you know, I think one of the key learnings for me from sort of the, the pandemic and, and COVID life is actually human interaction is, is an amazing thing. Um, and emotion, like the, our pets are such an emotive topic to everybody. Like, you know, I had, my Spaniel died 10 days ago um, and, and he was only six years old. It was relatively unexpected, but it was huge emotion associated to that. And, and no, no, AI computer interface can replace that. We can express empathy, you know, a real person can express empathy digitally, but AI generators, there's no, I just don't see it. And also, I don't want to see that. I want to see a real person. If I'm upset, I want a hug, um, you know, and, and I think, you know, back in the 2019, when we were allowed to hug uh, one another, um, and then there's been this window of time where no one's been able to hug, and now people are, you know, they're ready for a hug again. They're ready um, to, you know, shake each other's hand to, you know, sort of embrace. And I think the one thing it really has highlighted for me is the the absolute necessity for human to human interaction. Um, 
and, and that's why I do not see a future where there's a, a full digital journey. I absolutely see a future where it's digital first. So it's all about basically what we're doing, where it's, you know, enabling and, and educating the customer journey before they go to the vet. But using that with the end game of, you know, just making the whole process more efficient um, and, and relieving the press and the stress, the pressure and the stress on, on vets in practice. Because the reality is, I think one of the greatest things I saw last year was, um, was so, someone put a post on LinkedIn and it said, you know, it takes um, nine weeks to produce nine puppies um, and it takes five years to produce one vet. Um, that's quite a powerful stat when you think about it. Like, you know, you've got this exponential mismatch now in supply and demand for veterinary expertise. And unless we plug the gaps, like, you know, in the UK, 46% of vets leave the profession before they're five years qualified. That's petrifying um and unless we you know it's all good and well saying we'll build more vet schools and we'll pour more people in at the top of the bucket but unless you fix the hole um and, and alleviate the pressure and alleviate the stress and you know help people on the front line unless you're plugging those holes then you know what's the point in building more vet schools we might as well deregulate the profession and say right look guys we've lost this battle there's too many pets there's not enough vets um and i dread that day like, you know, I, I think as vets and as vet nurses, we are in such a privileged position um, that we have to absolutely fight with all of our being to keep that privilege that we have. You know, people come to us with their family members, hand them across the table to us and go, look, I'm trusting you with this guy. Um, that's a huge honor. Um, and if we need to maintain that, not just in the UK, but globally, then we have to make it a better, more, better is the wrong word. We have to make it an enhanced and more efficient journey so that we can do that with the increasing demands on us as clinicians, because otherwise everyone's going to burn out. And it is as simple as that. It has nice been nice also, yes, <laughs> absolutely. It has been such a pleasure also for me and an honor to, to speak to you and to, to get your thoughts on these points, to, to have a little journey into, okay, what, what can telemedicine do, but also sort of where are the limits, where can telemedicine sort of work with a profession? So it was it was really interesting. So if anybody would like to comment on this episode of Fikava Vet Chat, please do email us on vetchat at fikava.com or communicate with us on one of our social media outlets. So have a nice evening and I hope that I will see you soon again for another episode of Fikava Vet Chat. Bye bye.